Our scripture today comes from the gospel according to Matthew. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus is speaking, says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idly in the marketplace, and he said to them, I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. At about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, has hired us. He said to them, You may go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, and begin with the last, and then go to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But the landowner replied to one of them, Friend, I, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me to, for, the do, for the usual daily wage? Takes what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this to the last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So, the last will be first, and the first will be last. This, this is, is the word, word of the Lord. Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Let us pray. Open to us the truth of your realm, holy God. Your world, your hopes, your kingdom, come and coming. Amen. And game on. In the opening book of the histories, the beginner of history as a subject as we know it, Herodotus writes, When Attis was king of Lydia in Asia Minor some 3,000 years ago, a great scarcity threatened his realm. For a while, people accepted their lot without complaining in the hope that times of plenty would return. But when things failed to get better, the Lydians devised a strange remedy for their problem. The plan adopted against the famine was to engage in games. Games, one day, so entirely as not to feel any craving for food. And the next day, to eat and abstain from games. In this way, they passed 18 years. And along the way, they invented the dice, knuckle bones, the ball, and all the games which are common. Games 
had the power to save a nation and to control endless amounts of our cognitive resources. As any of us know from our interaction with those who play games. In the United States, over 183 million of our citizens are active gamers. That means they play digital games 13 hours a week or more. More than 5 million of those are extreme gamers that play on average 45 hours of games per week. Jane McDonagall writes that the World of Warcraft, which is a, a computer-based online massive multiplayer game, created a wiki. A wiki is like an online encyclopedia page. And this wiki is one-tenth the size of the entirety of Wikipedia. Right? So all the world's knowledge, one-tenth, is just about Wikipedia. The Wikipedia is, is much bigger than that, but it's a separate encyclopedia just for that game. It is a not very uh, well-hidden secret that the most popular pastime of American soldiers who are serving abroad is to win medals, specifically virtual medals, playing the first-person shooter game Halo or Call of Duty. And QQ virtual coins, which are very prominent in China, used to trade and, and to get power-ups and different things within these games, they became so popular and so well-used and so dangerous that the state-owned People's Bank of China had to intervene to prevent a devaluation of their real-world national currency. The Gonagal continues, Globally, this gaming phenomena of active gamers counts more than 4 million in the Middle East, 10 million in Russia, 105 million in India, 10 million in Vietnam, 10 million in Mexico, 13 million in Central and South America, 15 million in Australia, 17 million in South Korea, 100 million in Europe, and 200 million in China. We can choose to deride the hordes for their senseless, mind-sucking pastime, or we can face the harder truth. Games are providing something that the real world is not. Causing McDonagall to title her 2011 bestseller, Reality is Broken. In the book, she asked us to understand games, that we might better understand the world that we're living in. Human motivation, and through it, how to fix that reality through gamification. I believe that Jesus asked us to do the exact same thing in Matthew 20. But first, let's begin to understand games, shall we? The first thing that a game needs, there are four pieces. The first is a goal. A goal, that thing that you are trying to achieve at the end. What is that the end goal? You've got to have a goal in a game. The second piece are rules. There has to be some boundaries or limitations in order to make it fun. The third thing is a feedback mechanism, whether it's in the form of points or coins or achieving the next level or some higher status. So we've got rules. We've got a goal. We've got rules. We've got a feedback mechanism. And the game has to have voluntary participation. Things, books and movies like The Hunger Games are so entrancing because they combine the power of games with that horror of not being able to opt out of the Colosseum. 
So again, remember, games have a goal. They have rules. They have a feedback mechanism, and it requires voluntary participation. Those are the four pieces. Let's think about this through one of the world's favorite pastimes, golf. What is the goal of golf? Get the ball in the hole. Now, if we weren't crazy, we would understand that the easiest way to do that is to drive, take a train, or fly to said hole and drop it in with our hands. But we aren't that clever. Instead, we came up with this wonderful system where you have to take a cleverly devised stick and hit said ball from as far away as possible and then get it into said hole. That's your goal. You've realized the rules, the limitations. You can throw in sand dunes and winds and birds in the middle of the air. The feedback is clear. Either the ball is closer to the hole or it's not. And the competition and the enjoyment of the game varies with those rules, depending on who you're playing against, whether you're rotating turns, whether you're trying to get there the fastest or the most methodically. There's all sorts of ways that that game can be played. Now, this is how we expect the game to happen in Matthew 20. The rules are clear. There are laborers. And there's a person who needs laboring. Now, before this passage, the disciples have been vying for power. They're trying to figure out whether following their wandering master around the desert is worth it. Would it give them more power in the long run, like owning a stock of Google or Amazon right at the beginning of the company? That's the kind of power they are looking for. Can I get in on the ground floor of this Jesus thing and maybe end up with a high seat of power in Jesus' world reign? Jesus sees what's happening and tells them the story of a landowner who hires workers at 7, at 9, at noon, at 3, and 5, and they all get paid the same wage at the end of the day. The juxtaposition is clear. The character of God is somehow both generous and just, extending not just to who is the most loyal and pledges allegiance first, but to anyone who comes to the fields of plenty at any point in time. What's most telling for the disciples, and for us, I suspect, is this feeling of injustice. That's not fair. I worked longer. I deserve more. But if you dig deeper, I think we realize that we don't like the rules of this game because we don't win. The deeper feeling, if we're honest, is envy. Why should they get the same amount of money as me, especially when it feels like they got more? I worked harder. The modern-day parallels are easy enough to make. Think about critics of affordable housing in D.C. and Maryland. Why do they deserve to live in Chevy Chase like me? I worked harder. I went to school for longer. They do not deserve this. Now, two weeks ago, I took 14 of our middle schoolers to Broad Street Ministries in Philadelphia. As you heard from the testimonies, we spent the week serving and immersing ourselves in that game of life unfolding in the city of brotherly love. 
We've watched gentrification, which is a systematic form of a, I deserve this. We watch as it is taking over old neighborhoods, displacing the poor. There's hundreds and hundreds of people daily come to feeding ministries that we took part in. And we watch far too many examples of how the game is rigged to create winners and losers, more often than not divided along the lines of race and privilege. But we also saw the inbreaking of a new game, the new rules that God is establishing in our time, more commonly known as the kingdom. We learned about two kinds of games, positive sum and zero sum. Now, there is a way in which games do not have to be competitive. Have any of you ever played the game Tetris? Raise your hand if you ever played Tetris. That's great. Has anybody ever had fun playing Tetris? This is wonderful. Raise your hand if you've ever won Tetris. Aha! No one has ever won Tetris fully. I mean, sometimes they they stop giving you more levels because the programmers get tired. But there is realistically no way to win this game. If you've never played it before, there are these blocks going down to the bottom of a shaft, and you try to get all the blocks in a row, and if you do, then they disappear. And it's sort of the reward system, the feedback mechanism. Now that game is a game you can play because you enter into the state of flow where your ability is perfectly balanced with achieve ability. Zero-sum games suggest that every game has to be competitive. There always has to be a winner and a loser, right? If we have a ball and Jack gets the ball and I don't, Jack wins. But games do not have to be competitive. Tetris is a clear example of that. There are other games known as positive-sum games. And positive-sum games, the analogy is best thinking about a rising tide that raises all the boats. In these kinds of games, everybody wins at the same time. may not be in the same amounts, may not be in the same way, but we acknowledge that it is possible, that not everybody has to lose. So zero-sum games, there are winners and losers. But in positive-sum games, everybody can win. If I had to sum up the gospel in a few words, it would be this. The kingdom of God is a positive-sum game. The kingdom of God is a positive-sum game. This is a word proclaimed more loudly than anything else in Scripture. You go to the Psalms and it is a clear shout-out to the mighty, awesome abundance of God's love that never runs scarce, unlike the assumptions of modern market economics. You go to the Gospel and you see a Jesus who says, you believe in winners and losers and that somebody has to die so that somebody else can win, but I will die to show you the folly of that system, to show you that all can win within God's love. And you see the same happen at the end of that great book, in Revelation, where the city of God involves all, where it's diverse, 
where it's not segregated by housing prices or those who want to feel safe in their neighborhoods. But it belongs to everyone. We began in Philly to see the world through this lens of positive sum games. We saw it through the story of Brian. Brian was a construction laborer whose boss told him he was paying his rent until the eviction notice made it clear that he wasn't. Brian had been working hard every day and he was instantly homeless. After a whole series of terrible things that he did not want to tell us about, Brian ended up selling a newspaper. Has anybody heard about DC's Street Sense newspaper? You may have seen it around the metro stops. In Philadelphia, a partner organization is there called One Step Away. One Step Away and Street Sense are newspapers written by the homeless for the world. And it's sold by the homeless. So some of our students got to go with these homeless vendors, there was adult supervision, don't worry, and to stand alongside them and to sell these newspapers. Our students began to feel excruciating pain of being walked past, no eye contact being made, not being able to sell even though you feel like you're working hard in the heat of the summer. But the rules are being rewritten in Philly. Brian has been working hard selling these papers, and because of that, he has found some stable housing as he saves up for even more permanent housing. He's getting his life back on track. We saw the rules being rewritten according to Kingdom Code in the south part of downtown, in and around Broad Street, where every building there is required to have some connection to the arts. Now, for some buildings, this means that they plant a brand new, beautiful theater in the heart of their building. For others, this means there's a lot of affordable housing within that building and within that arts programs used and created throughout the fellowship areas of the building. Another amazing effort that we spend a lot of time studying are these murals. If you go to Philadelphia, there are hundreds of of murals painted on the sides of buildings depicting the way that folks have been treated in the history of Philadelphia as well as the way that the kingdom rules are being rewritten so that everyone is involved, everyone is welcome, and everyone gets to enjoy the resources of these communities. I personally benefit from a place where the rules of life have been rewritten. In Montgomery County, there's a requirement that 15% of all new housing units developed have to be set aside for affordable housing for folks who make under a certain income limit. If it weren't for those units, if it weren't for that rule, your pastor would not be here today. How is this possible, though? Aren't the developers losing? Remember zero-sum thinking? If they lose money, then, then everyone's going to lose. But judging by the five cranes that are raised above downtown Silver Spring right now, I think everybody is winning. Now, to remember this, remember what a game is made out of. Remember the four parts? A goal, rules, feedback mechanisms, and voluntary participation. The kingdom trick is that games are not about winning. 
Christians believe that positive-sum games are not just possible, but that they are the standing operating procedure in an economic world that claims that scarcity is the name of the game. So what would rewriting your life into a positive-sum game look like? Most of you here have won the housing game. How can you help others to enjoy the same neighborhood and amenities that you do? Does your workplace need to have winners and losers? Or can you design incentive structures where performance is based on teamwork and collaboration? Where else in our world, education, politics, can we declare with kingdom determination that God's rules are just and generous and that we'll strive for both and not be bitter when we're in the back of the line? Last night I called up Mark. It's a friend of mine who was the president of Defiance College is now the dean of a law school in the Twin Cities. He discovered that these future lawyers had no curriculum for listening. No way to teach them how to listen to others. As you know, Minneapolis-St. Paul is struggling with many of the same issues that our world is struggling with, dealing with the black community and the police department. So Mark said, what can I do? His law students, one of their courses now, is partnering up with some African-American churches in the community and having them interact, these young black students, high school students, with the lawyers. And these students tell their stories to the lawyers, the lawyers in training. The lawyer's job is to write down what they hear and to repeat it back to these young gentlemen. If they get it right, empathy is created. If they get it wrong, the gentleman gets to say, I'm sorry, you misheard me. Let me speak again. Through the telling of these stories, lawyers have begun to understand what it feels like to be black in the Twin Cities, what it feels like to interact with a police officer in the Twin Cities. And lawyers are beginning to understand the systematic roots of what is happening in their beautiful home. I pray that the same could be said for you and me, that we could practice the spiritual discipline of listening, that we could understand the rules so well that we know how to break them well, that we would gamify our workplaces and our incentivize our places of work and life in order that more people would enjoy the life that they're living. May it be true of you. May you be a part of establishing the reign of God on earth until God's love is so apparent that we all proclaim in that diverse, dignified, delightful city of God that most glorious of declarations. Game over. Christ is king. Amen.